This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. Even at a relatively low concentration, this now stabilized allicin from fresh garlic could kill funguses, viruses, bacteria, it could get rid of intestinal parasites, and it can do all sorts of really cool, neat things to the human body. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Bussin, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we'll learn what ailments and conditions Allison can treat. We'll talk about aging from a public health perspective. We'll find out about the benefits of elder companionship. And lastly, we'll hear about hot topics in lung health. But first, a little bit of business. Today's show is brought to you by Alamax Canada, a company that delivers real, bioactive, stabilized Allison. Using only the freshest garlic from Spain, Alamax is the trusted source for a high-quality and effective Allison supplement. The manufacturers of Alamex have dedicated their time to researching this fascinating plant and all of its antimicrobial and antibacterial benefits. To fight infection and stay well, take Alamax. For more information, visit alamax.ca. My first guest, Peter Jostling, is director of the Sussex, England-based Garlic Centre. He's a trained chemist graduating from Nottingham University in England. He's had over 18 years' experience in the international health food industry, devoting his time to conducting and publishing clinical studies on a wide variety of natural products, including garlic, hypericum, ginkgo biloba, plant cellulose, vitamin C, and stabilized allicin. He's written several books and peer-reviewed, edited, written, and published many scientific articles on the action of plant-based extracts on human health. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Thank you very much indeed. When you came on the show last month, we learned all about your research into garlic and the extract allicin. Today, we're going to learn what ailments allicin can treat. For those who didn't hear the show last month briefly, what is allicin? Yeah, sure. Well, allicin is a compound that comes when garlic is either cut, crushed, cooked, boiled, chopped, or stir-fried. Or if you're Spanish, you believe that you hit your garlic with a knife, and that creates a lovely flavor for the meal that you're going to cook. Right. So that's that's like a physical reaction. And basically what happens is you unite two compounds that you find in, let's say, a garlic clove. So in the center of a garlic clove, you have an enzyme called alanase, and that enzyme is surrounded in every single cell around the central core of a clove of garlic by a sulfur compound called allene. So these two are, if you like, garlic's natural defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. So if you're growing garlic in the ground and it gets attacked by a fungus or a virus or a bacteria in the soil, then these two superheroes, if you like, break out of their cells and come together. And the first thing they release is a compound called allicin. Now, everybody agrees with the basic chemistry of garlic. They know that as soon as you cut or crush or cook your garlic, you release these two compounds, and the first thing you produce is allicin. Now, up until relatively recently, that allicin has been very, very unstable, very difficult to capture, and before you even know it, it's already changing into something like 
200 different sulfur-based thiosulfonate compounds. Wow. So very difficult to capture this stuff. But what, what we were able to do is I led a team of chemical engineers, chemists and biochemists like myself, and we were able to, for the first time ever, to be able to stabilize this allicin material. We used a little bit of clever chemistry. Uh, we used controlled temperature and pressure in the reaction. And we actually tricked the fresh garlic that we use in the process into reacting for a much longer period of time so that we could dilute the allicin with water. And that meant that it had the opposite effect in that it diluted the allicin, but it made it more stable. Mm -hmm. And the really cool thing was that making it more stable, we were very lucky. It still had incredible biological activity. In other words, even at a relatively low concentration, this now stabilized allicin from fresh garlic could kill funguses, viruses, bacteria, it could get rid of intestinal parasites, and it can do all sorts of really cool, neat things to the human body. And because we made a stabilized liquid, if you like, we could then move on and make that or convert that into a powder using normal health food industry techniques. And that would then mean that we could go on and do some clinical research to show that the allicin was stable and that it had some really amazing properties as this stable compound in terms of the way it killed uh, microbes, so funguses, viruses and bacteria. Fantastic. Well, let's focus one by one on these various microbes. Let's start with bacteria. So Alice can help with bacterial skin infections, right? Absolutely right. Now, if you look at a lot of ailments that people suffer from, the background reason for that is infection. Yes. And where does the infection come from? It usually comes from a bacteria, a fungus or a virus. Right. So bacterial infections are very, very common. If you go into the, the backyard this afternoon and you cut yourself on a rose bush yep. and you bleed and your finger swells a little bit, that's a bacterial infection. That bacteria is almost always bacteria called Staphylococcus aureus. Let's say you go out to one of the finest steak restaurants in Toronto this evening. Yes. And you, you get a piece of meat that hasn't really been cleaned or cooked properly. You might potentially pick up, let's say, an E. coli infection, another uh, gram-positive bacteria that has the ability to cause you sickness and ill health. You can vomit. You can have diarrhea. It can make you feel really, really grossy. Yep. These types of bacteria are all completely and annihilated by this allicin material. And we've done an enormous amount of testing, both in the laboratory and in human subjects and in animal subjects, to show that this allicin can kill things like E. coli, Salmonella, Clostridium, and in particular, Staphylococcus aureus and uh, what's known as MRSA, or I think you in Canada call it MRSA. Yes. So let's say uh, you had a topical infection, like you were mentioning gardening, which is something I happen to do. So if I got a skin infection, would I take the allicin topically or would I ingest it and it would work? You can do both. I mean, the nice thing about uh, Canada is that you actually have Alimax, which is the oral treatment. Right. But you do also have a gel, which you can use topically on the skin. Now, not every country in the world has this, but it's, for my way of thinking, it's one of the best things we've ever invented. Right. It's a topical treatment that is allicin, stabilized allicin, in aloe vera. 
Now, you'll know about the benefits of aloe vera, I'm sure, better than most people. So you know that it takes compounds deep into the skin. It penetrates into the skin layers very, very easily. So what that means is that let's say you've got a cut on, on the back of your hand. If you put some of this gel formulation on, the aloe vera takes the allicin deep in through the skin layers and starts to heal the wound very, very quickly. But more importantly, what it does is it prevents that wound from becoming infected. Now, you know, in the garden, there's all sorts of things where you can pick up infection. You can pick it up from the soil, from the plants. You can pick it up from other people. You can pick right. it up from animals. Bugs. So, you, yep. you, you know, you can, you can easily pick up an infection. And that's when the skin starts to fail to heal properly. So what you should do is belt and braces, we say here in the UK, <laughs> take the topical treatment, right. but also take the oral treatment. Why? Because we know from our early research work is that even if you have a, a patient, and we had one very famous patient actually in Canada, it was a young girl who had brittle bones and she had some pins put in her spine to heal her spine. Right. And unfortunately, she had two tiny wounds that just wouldn't heal. Now, in those days, we didn't have a topical formulation. So she just took, uh, I think it was 10 capsules of the stabilized allicin every day for six weeks. And within that six-week period, we actually swabbed the wound site we swabbed under her arms and, and in other areas on her body, and we proved that she did have a bacterial infection in that wound site. She took the, the Alimax, basically, the capsules, and within six weeks, both little wounds had healed over completely. Wow. And that was from an oral treatment, which you know is quite impressive, really. It really is. Okay, so we've we discussed bacteria. Let's move on. You mentioned fungus and virus. Where do you want to go next, fungus or virus? <laughs> well, virus, I think we, we touched on uh, you know a few weeks ago when we discussed the common cold. Right. But don't forget there are so many different viruses out there. Right. And whilst we don't necessarily develop into a full-blown cold, we might get the sniffles, we might feel run down, we might start to feel rather tired. And the really cool thing about the stabilized allicin is that it can kill viruses. Uh, we've proven that in controlled double-blind studies. But we also know that it can prevent what's known as a reinfection. And that's really important because viruses are so different that your body, your own immune system can fight one off and you go back to work or you go back to what you were doing, you know, four or five days earlier and you catch another virus. This right. is very common. So the really cool thing about the research is that it shows that the allicin not only gets rid of a viral infection, but prevents a secondary attack. So it actually protects your immune system, and we know how it does that. It increases the number of white cells that your immune system releases. These are the CD4 T cells, the killer cells that are needed to basically fight off infection. So viruses are no problem, and it can be anything from, believe it or not, Epstein-Barr virus, which wow. is very difficult to treat, yeah. right the way through to the simple ones like herpes viruses, and rhinoviruses, and even some of the, the really nasty ones. So viruses, again, are no problem. They're, obviously, they're much, much smaller than bacteria. So the allicin works in a different way to disrupt 
the activity of the virus in terms of when it starts to interfere with your own cells, DNA and RNA. So we know that it's a really good antibacterial and antiviral. I might as well cover funguses as well. well but, but before you do, though, I have a question yeah. for you. So, so I find that most of the colds that I get sort of morph into a sinus event after, right? And that's because it may start off as a virus, but then it becomes bacterial. Have you yeah. done any research on that sort of switch when a cold digs right into your sinuses? Can Alamax what? help with that? Yeah, we have actually. We've done, again, a controlled little trial right. that shows that when you when you develop a fungal or a bacterial infection in the nasal passages, obviously what happens is you block up the sinus right. uh, passages. And that's very, very common, particularly if you have a cold as well. So what you can do is, this is quite cool, you can take this gel formulation that is available in Canada and you just take a little pea-sized piece of gel mm -hmm. and you put it up inside each nostril and you squeeze the nostril shut to push the gel further up the nasal cavity, which is exactly where the bacteria and funguses right. keep replicating and where they live, basically. So if you do that, we've shown that you can get rid of bacterial and fungal carriage. Very easy, very safe, no side effects, simple to use. Feels a bit peculiar when you put a bit yeah. of gel up your nostril, right. but it works really, really well. And again, at the same time, back that up with an oral treatment to make sure that you're helping that immune system to get rid of these pernicious microbes that you don't need. I'm going to add one piece of advice. If you're putting it up your nostrils, don't do it while you're driving. Do it in the privacy of your own <laughs> home, right? Absolutely. You're right. not advocating doing it while we're driving. I'm sorry. I, I interjected. <laughs> Let's go into funguses because I, I stopped you from going there. That's fine. I mean, you know, fungus, you know, it's said that 85% of women in North America suffer from a fungal infection at some stage during their lives. Yes. That's an awful lot of ladies and that's an awful lot of fungal infections. And what, what our early testing showed was in the laboratory that the fungal species were the ones that were most easily killed by the stabilized allicin. Wonderful. And to give you some idea how easily they're killed, each capsule that you can take on a daily basis will give your body around about 200 parts per million allicin. And we know that the fungal species like Candida albicans, which is the common one, will be killed by just 1.5 parts per million allicin. So they're very, very, very sensitive to it. So what I would recommend is that ladies take vitamin C because that's really good as well. And you add that to the stabilized allicin and you have an ideal combination for battling against candida overgrowth. And you know that that's the white tongue, the swelling, the bloating after eating and sometimes a discharge as well. And that's very, very common for women to suffer from. They can go to the drugstore and buy a drug every month, costs about $40. You know, it's one capsule and it works for a few weeks, but then the fungal infection comes back. Right. With allicin, that just doesn't seem to happen, provided you keep taking what we call a maintenance dose, which is just one tiny capsule per day. So it's quite remarkable what it can do against these microbial pests, if you like. Right. Okay. We only have time for one more question, but I understand, sure. and this is really important for Canada where that we have vast outdoors. I understand that Allison is actually effective against Lyme disease. Is that true? 
It is correct, yes. I mean, as you quite rightly say, the incidence of Lyme is climbing dramatically in Canada, in the USA, but also right the way across Europe. And that's because we're getting a little bit more intelligent about diagnosing it. There are more doctors who are interested in diagnosing Lyme disease. And we've just finished a trial that shows that if you give quite a large dose of Alamax to Lyme patients, plus one or two other things in the protocol, then you will get rid of Lyme disease. You'll go from what's known as IgG positive for Lyme right the way through to IgG negative for Lyme in about eight weeks. So it's a remarkable result. We hope it's going to be published in full in the next few months. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. We hope to hear from you again soon, but we have to take a short break. When we return, we'll discuss aging from a public health perspective on The Tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest, Dr. Paula Rochon, is a geriatrician and vice president of research at Women's College Hospital, which is affiliated with the University of Toronto. She's a senior scientist at Women's College Research Institute, a professor in the Department of Medicine and Institute of Health Policy, Management and Evaluation at the University of Toronto, and a senior scientist at the Institute for Clinical Evaluation Sciences. In 2015, she was appointed as the inaugural Retired Teachers of Ontario Chair in Geriatric Medicine in the University of Toronto. Dr. Rochon's research career focuses on understanding the unique needs of older adults, particularly women. She's one of the leading Canadian health services researchers in geriatric medicine. In particular, her research explores how to promote health and wellness in older adults by optimizing their drug prescribing. Welcome to the show, doctor. Thank you. We've uh, discussed issues pertaining to aging many times on the show, but today we're going to talk about something a little bit different, and that's aging in the context of public health, right? Yes. So why is it important for people in, in Ontario to think about aging? Well, I think it's really important for all of us to think about aging because we are all aging. I mean, from the moment we're born, aging is something that happens to all of us. I think it's kind of interesting that 
people often think, well, maybe I, you know, I should start thinking about aging when you reach 90 or something like that, but that's not the case at all. To me, it's something that we should be thinking about throughout our lifespan because it's impacting all of us. True. But, you know, it's hard to get somebody in their 20s or 30s or even 40s to think about it. You know, like I I myself, who publishes Health and Wellness magazine and and has this talk show, didn't really think about aging seriously until I turned 50, you know? Yeah, I I think that is the case. A lot of people don't somehow think it applies to them or something that they need to think about or maybe be a little bit proactive about. But I think it is something that we should all be thinking about. So it's good that we are. Yeah. So what can we do to promote health and wellness among older adults? Well, I think there's a number of things that people suggest are helpful. And it's not just for older adults. I think the point is it's for all of us to be thinking about these things so that we can you know, have as much health and uh, wellness as possible as we do become older. Right. So I think it's interesting that a lot of the things are really kind of common sense type things, so things that we can all relate to. You know, so for example, that people should be active, you know, moderate physical activity. Uh, You know, I think something like walking is a good example of that. You know, we should think about how we can do things like walking as part of our regular activities. You know, when I think about, you know, how do you promote uh, health and wellness, I also think in my own mind of my grandfather who lived to over 100 and the kinds of things that he did, which actually follow, I think, the same kind of uh, principles as people talk about. So another one is that we should be thinking about our diet and thinking about having more unprocessed diets and having vegetables and fruits and things like that. I mean, basically, it's sort of eating in a healthy kind of way is something that we want to think about as we're aging. Another thing that they talk about is being socially engaged. You know, it's so important to be part of what's happening around you. Uh, You're hearing a lot of uh, concern lately about uh, people who are isolated and sort of the concerns about loneliness and how that can impact your health. So you want to think about how do you continue to be engaged throughout your life. So there's a lot of things that you can do to make that happen. One of the things that I think is interesting is the idea about having a purpose. And I think people have that in a variety of different ways. But it's, you know, being interested in things and being engaged in different kinds of things. So, you know, whatever it is, it's important that you have some kind of a purpose. Yeah, and I, and I think purpose is, is more than just being interactive. I think it's attaching meaning to what you're doing. So perhaps you're giving back to the community or if you're religious, you're participating, you know, in your religion more fully or as fully as you were when you were younger. Something to get you out of bed in the morning, huh? Yeah, something that you really care about. You know, if it's, for example, that you enjoy um, nature and you want to go out and explore nature or uh, you enjoy gardening, it's just something that, as you say, makes you feel good and allows you to contribute in a number of different ways. So I think that's something that's important. The idea of sleeping, you know, that's something we all take for granted, but it's important that you make sure that you do sleep well. You know, that's good for your health and something you need to think about. It's all interconnected, I agree. Yeah, they're all interconnected. And it's interesting that, you know, as I say, these are kind of probably common sense type things um, that people recommend when you're thinking about health and wellness. And it's not to say that that is going to ensure that people are going to live long, but certainly I think it helps improve quality of life for everyone. I agree. Are there differences? I mean, you specialize in, uh, and your focus is in women as they age. Are there key differences for women in terms of their health? 
I think that's a really important question, the issue about women and men and why we want to think about that. I mean, when you think about the older population, there are more women than men because women tend to live uh, longer than men. But it's interesting that, you know, we should be thinking a lot about what are the differences between women and men so that we can make sure that we tailor care to women and men. But it's interesting that we don't do that as much as we probably should. So, for example, a lot of the research studies that are done that help inform our understanding about how you best treat women and men have not always included women to the degree that they should, because you want to make sure that if it's the individuals that are going to experience that condition, that they're well represented in the studies. So that's um, been a bit of an issue. And the other piece is that even when you do include women and men in the research that you're doing, often the information isn't analyzed in such a way that you can look for the differences between women and men. So you can miss out on potential important information. That's from a research perspective. From a practical perspective, what sort of things are different for men and women as they age in terms of their care? Well, one of the things that we think about that are different between uh, men and women is women, for example, tend to have more chronic conditions. So they'll have things like, for example, arthritis relative to men, so conditions that they have for long periods of time. We also know that because women have more chronic conditions, they may be more likely to take uh, medications than men. So that's difference that is between women and men. And there's a lot of other pieces that come out that are important between women and men that perhaps may reflect um, something that we call gender, sort of more the social side of things. Mm -hmm. So, for example women may be more likely than men to be caregivers. So, you know, maybe in part because um, perhaps women are thought to be more nurturing and they may be more likely to be caregiving for children, but also as people get older, uh, a woman may be more likely to be a caregiver for, for example, a parent, or uh, later on it might be for someone like a spouse. So they may be more likely to take on a caregiving role than a man. And then it's also interesting that as you know, women get older and often maybe outlive a spouse because they're living longer or may tend to marry individuals that are longer, when they're in need of care, they may not have somebody to provide uh, that same care for them. Right. So you touched upon something a moment ago about chronic conditions and women as they age, which of course would lead to more prescription drug use. So how can we help the public with respect to their needs for prescription drugs? Well, I think the drug piece is something that's really important because most older people will be using some sort of drug therapy, and drugs are very, very beneficial and very important, especially for managing things like chronic conditions. But when you're on drug therapies, especially when you're on multiple drug therapies, it's really important that you take the time to meet with your um, healthcare provider, whether it's a physician or a pharmacist, to make a point of reviewing your drug therapies on a regular basis to make sure that you're on the very best combination for you and your particular needs. Right, so there's no contraindications or drugs working across purposes, right? Yeah, exactly. So, for example, there may be medicines that you're on that you don't need anymore, and so you know those medicines should be discontinued. Or perhaps rather than a particular medication, maybe there's, as we call them, non-pharmacologic, so non-drug type approaches that people might take 
that could be very valuable. So for example, if someone has arthritis, would exercise be helpful? And maybe then you could avoid uh, taking uh, medication in that case. Or sometimes it's important just to review your medicines to determine if there is a drug that might be a better alternative, you know, something that perhaps is a little bit safer that could be substituted and so that might come forward over time as something that you could do as you're refining your medicines. And another piece that people don't always think about is sometimes it relates to the dose that you're on. And sometimes it's possible to reduce the dose and still get the benefit that you need, which is important because often drug side effects can be dose-related. Right. And then, of course, the other piece is perhaps there are things that you should be on that you're not on. And so when you review your medications, there's an opportunity to look at that. So it's a very important part in terms of promoting health and wellness. Right. And I know that there's one issue that you were looking into, and you, you coined the phrase about 20 years ago, prescribing cascades. So, so what's that about, and how does that impact? Well, prescribing cascades are an interesting concept that... Um, We developed, as you say, a number of years ago, and it came from observations uh, that we saw in clinical practice. And basically what it is, is it occurs when a healthcare provider misinterprets the side effect of a drug as a new medical condition Uh. and then prescribes another drug that maybe isn't necessary at all and may in fact have side effects to treat that problem. So, you know, it sounds like a bit of a, you know, maybe an obvious thing, but it is something that I think is missed a lot. And uh, it's something that we were able to see when we watched how drugs were being prescribed in clinical practice. But it's really important to identify these prescribing cascades because they represent the kinds of drug therapies that you don't need to be on. So, for example, if you're on a drug and you're experiencing a side effect, you know, there's other things that you could potentially do uh, rather than starting another drug. Like, for example, you might go back and, you know, wonder, you know, is that symptom or whatever that you're experiencing related to that initial drug? Right. And then you would wonder, you know, do I need that initial drug at all? And it gives you the opportunity to uh, really make a difference. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the benefits of elder companionship on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. In Canada, nearly 1.4 million elderly report feeling lonely. Companionship services, like the Buddy System, can be a great support for seniors who find it challenging to stay connected, active, and engaged. With over 40 years of experience in Ontario, Seniors for Seniors offers a unique companionship service that helps seniors live active and independent lives. The companionship model pairs newly retired or younger seniors with older seniors for a variety of interactions, including social support, living caregiving, driving assistance, personal care, and homemaking. This summer, they're encouraging seniors to do all the things they've always wanted to do with the help of a trusted companion 
At Seniors for Seniors, it's more than just care. It's friendship. For a limited time, Seniors for Seniors is offering $25 off for drop-in companionship services in celebration of Seniors Month. For more information, visit seniorsforseniors.ca. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Christina Dobbin, has a long track record of success in health services field for over 15 years. In that time, she's worked in pharmacy, home care, and long-term care retirement home industry. She holds an OANHSS long-term care administrator's designation and a certified gentle persuasive coach. For the last three years, she's been with Seniors for Seniors. Christina brings a unique perspective based on her vast experience and a strong understanding of the healthcare industry and regulations and enjoys sharing her knowledge and enthusiasm to make a positive impact to people's lives in a healthy way through her knowledge gained from working in the healthcare industry. She's able to develop new ideas and solutions that support the senior community. Christina's passion is to advocate for older adults and to help them live independent and fulfilling lives. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much. You know, over a year and a half of doing interviews regarding lifespan and longevity and quality of life, one issue keeps sort of popping up, and that is, you know, the impact of isolation and loneliness for seniors. What do you feel that impact is? Yeah, you know, well, there's definitely the impact of social isolation for seniors, the quality of life and their well-being. Studies have shown definitely the risk of mortality, uh, the effect of physical health, the increase of cognitive decline, the effect of mental and emotional health, and the decrease of independence, which uh, may result in moving the senior to a retirement or long-term care facility. So what do you think like people don't really know about social isolation? You know, I'll talk about the factors that increase the risk uh, of seniors becoming okay, uh, sure. socially isolated. So some people don't think about it. Um, we have death of a spouse or a partner right. that may increase it. Geographic location, they're far from their friends and family. Transportation ta- challenges, mobility challenges, lack of community or social, uh, or social circle, right. limited physical contact with other individuals, and if their needs are becoming more complex and changing. Okay. And how does the company you work for, Seniors for Seniors, help with that? Well, we have a unique model. Um, and what characteristics we look for in a model? So we hire newly retired or younger seniors that help people out in the areas of living to overnight to, to drop in companion hospital bedside companions and we find since they are closer in age there's more commonalities uh, more life experiences or we can also refer to it as a buddy system so buddy system is a proven way to motivate us to do things that we are, are reluctant to jump into so our companion works by inspiring you to get out of their comfort zone and stay involved and keep active. Okay, so can you give me some examples of what that might look like? So, you know, I will give you an example of how about you're still mobile, you still want to do things, but your family is busy, and what about going on vacation? Right. So we have a lot of caregivers, actually, that go on vacations uh, with our patients or our clients, or we go on road trips, or we go golfing for the day with them, where we become their companion. Okay, so that it's more than just fulfilling the physical needs. It's, it's sort of like the social and spiritual needs of somebody who might be looking for that companionship, right? 
Definitely, 100%. You know, um, companionship is a vehicle of living an active and healthy lifestyle and and getting out of your shell. So it can be medical, it can be non-medical, it can be emotional, and what you said, um, spiritual as well. Okay, and and so the caregivers we're talking about though are still trained to deal with the sort of day to day issues that might come up if they're if they're helping a senior, right? Yeah, you know we have a variety of caregivers that work for us. Um, we have retired PSWs, retired nurses, we have retired um, bankers, we have retired uh, teachers. The thing that we look most for um, characteristics in our caregivers yeah. is that they're compassionate. They're caring, they're friendly, they're dedicated to helping seniors age in place, and they understand the importance of age-appropriate care. Yeah, well, I think those are important issues. Why do you think that just having this companion aspect brings so much extra value in the caregiving space? You know, it's a unique model. There's not a lot of people that do this kind of model where it's mature caregivers. Right. And going back to the we're adaptable, uh, we're unique, uh, we approach things in a different way by our se- seniors being mature. Right. Okay. I-, I suppose it must be difficult sort of finding people to fulfill this role. It's got to have somebody, somebody who has to have the experience be of a certain age and still has sort of have the energy to do this because, you know, it takes a lot of effort uh, to do this sort of work, I would think. You know, it's, it's funny that you said that you would think it would be just difficult, but we have an abundance of inquiries. So people that want to give back or people that need to work or people that just need to keep active themselves. So inquiries and recruiting is definitely not an issue. And people are are living a little bit longer, uh, more healthy. So they're needing the employment as well. So you see the dynamics change a little bit in the industry of um, elderly people working for longer. Well, the, you know, it's interesting you should say that because uh, some of the studies that we've been looking at on the show include sort of extending the work life, right? So even though there's, you know, the sort of retirement age that most people think of is 65, a lot of societies where people live longer, uh, they actually work longer. So it might be an opportunity for the people that are working for you to, to actually extend their own lives in a positive way. It's becoming a hot topic out there as well, right? Um, About the age, the workforce is staying longer. So I think we've hit it on the head. Um, I think we've got it correct with our business model. Okay, that's good. And and so what do you think, is that the greatest value to your business model, do you suppose? What, What do you think it is? You know, there's so, our business model, there's so much. Again, that we're adaptable, we're unique. Uh, it changes the lens of which we are seeing aging clients with our companions being more mature. So we are unique with, with what our business model is. And you can't deny that um, the companionship and the commonalities are nurturing that friendship more than the care needs. So... Okay, it's one thing to sort of pair up uh, a client and a caregiver, you know, for specific physical needs. But I would imagine it's a little more complicated, you know, when there's a companionship aspect to it. So, um, you know, how does that situation work? Like, how do you find the right fit and the perfect blend? You know, we ask detailed questions, and it may be questions that you'd be like, why are you asking that question? The things that are super important to us are, like, commonalities, uh, dislikes, interests, what is their past experience as their professional career, what makes them happy, Um, what if something's making them upset, you know, 
what do they like to counterbalance that? So our assessment, our thorough assessment really helps us to pair up that ideal uh, companion. Right. Yeah. So if somebody was listening to the show today and they actually wanted to become part of your staff, uh, what do you look for in a companion? What, what, what sort of baseline requirements would there be? Mature, energetic, again, compassionate, friendly, and just understand um, what age-appropriate care means. Do they have to have a driver's license, for example? Depends on the service that, you, that they're looking to help us out with. So driver's companion, yes, you would need a, a, a driver's license. For live-in, drop-in, overnight, not necessarily. Um, you just need to, to be you know, available some availability. It is part-time casual elect-to-work, so you just need some availability. And we do do a vulnerable sector check, so that is the highest check that there is, and they all are employees of ours. So we're covered with liability and WSIB. And uh, is there a training uh, paradigm? Like if, if I wanted to volunteer, for example, would you put me through a training process? I would put you through a training. So we do have orientation, and then I would also put you through GPA, a gentle persuasive approach. So that's dealing with people, dementia, and Alzheimer's. And then our coordinators is where we make sure it's the right fit. So if something doesn't have, if somebody doesn't have the experience for that client, we wouldn't match it up with that potential client. That makes sense. So I guess, you know, this comes out, of, I guess, as a result of, of, of really just people living longer, right? And, and I guess the social media has sort of people communicate differently and interact differently. Did you see that? Is that, is that really what's different today from yesterday? Or are there other factors that sort of impact aging today? No, I think, I think that is, that's definitely what is, is happening. People are living longer and healthier, and that is our goal um, as Seniors for Seniors, of living happier, more independent lives through senior-focused home care services. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. We'd love to have you back again. Would you, would you consider coming back? Oh, definitely. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure speaking with you guys today. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Chris Haromi, is a respiratory therapist and certified respiratory educator at the Ontario Lung Association. For the past 23 years, he's developed and provided educational programs focused on helping people prevent and manage lung conditions such as asthma. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Hi, great. Thanks for inviting me. I think a lot of people think of the Lung Association as being sort of 
anti-cigarette, no smoking. But there's a lot of different and evolving health issues pertaining to the lungs, right? Oh, tons of them. And today we're going to sort of look at hot-button issues which have come up as a result of all sorts of new things going on in the province. And I guess one of the first ones we could look at, because it's, you know, we're within six months of it or so, is cannabis and the risks that are associated with it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, legalized, of course, so uh, some people might... Uh, it has? Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> they might inadvertently think that it's actually uh, going to be healthy for you. And generally, uh, no, that's not the idea. Right. And right now we're talking about recreational cannabis, not CBDs or, or things that are, are therapeutic, but, you know, the recreational use of the weed or vaping, etc. Yeah. Right? And actually the legalization will be helping because now we can do a lot more research. We have more funding for it. It'll help guide us in the future as to, you know, the, what potential harms there are and uh, ways to reduce the risks to people. I guess for an organization like yours, the thought of more people smoking, even though it's not tobacco, is, is kind of stressful. Right? Yeah. I mean, the lowest hanging fruit for lung health is definitely living a smoke-free life. Inhaling things in your lungs is not a good thing, not recommended generally. And the less we inhale of toxins and so on into our lungs, the better. That's just one of our, of course, makes sense as a lung association. Right. So aside from the obvious risk of combusting cannabis and smoking it, are there other risks that, that you're aware of with cannabis? Well, uh, definitely uh, the smoking, the usual type of smoking has the, you know, the greatest potential risks right. uh, to the lungs. I wouldn't say ingesting would be uh, necessarily going to be found to be you know, 100% healthy, but from the lung perspective, uh, it's definitely better for the lungs. So yeah, there's definitely potential risks from any kind of use of cannabis and abstaining 100% is, is definitely the healthiest way to go in general, but smoking it in the usual ways we traditionally have smoked in the past, like very long inhalation, holding it for a long time right. is not the uh, healthiest way to do it. So there are healthier ways to uh, to use cannabis. Right. And, and the proponents of cannabis speak about vaping as being preferable to uh, smoking, but vaping has its own risks, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Vaping is going to reduce your risks. So, I mean, there's also a vaping uh, <laughs> epidemic going on right now with the youth. Right. Uh, so that's increased dramatically over the last uh, few years in Canada and the U.S., and that's not, you know, necessarily cannabis, but it's uh, like liquids, uh, jewel and so on. And that's a big concern as well. Right. So for those who don't know what vaping is, it is you're inhaling steam as opposed to smoke, right? Because what's happening is it's not being ignited, but it's being heated and the vapors are inhaled, correct? Yes, but you are heating up an element as well. So you are getting right. heavy metals as well from that, uh, like nickel and tin and lead, which are, which are inhaling and other toxins. Okay. All right, so now that people are vaping more and perhaps indulging in cannabis, I guess we sort of have to think about secondhand smoke in a, in a, in a different way. Let's say, for example, in a rental unit, right? Yeah, great point. In fact, uh, really any kind of secondhand vape or cannabis smoke or cigarette smoke has its potential harms, yeah. And uh, actually, that is a huge issue and one of the uh, biggest challenges we face for a lot of people, a lot of the callers to our our Lung Association, Lung Health Information Line, is that they're actually living in their own homes and uh, someone maybe had moved in recently and uh, smoking 24-7, it could be tobacco, it could be cannabis, and they are now suddenly exposed 24-7 to this drifting smoke. Is that fair? Does that make sense to society? Is that something we need to change in the future? I think so. What help can you give from them now? Is there anything to be done? 
Well, yeah, I mean, there's some things you can try, like trying to block the flow of smoke into your unit, but the reality is that's very challenging. So we can't, you know, at this point in time, society does not accept, at least a lot of people don't accept, the idea that we can tell people that you can't smoke something in your own home. And uh, I think it's time to uh, challenge that, especially when someone, for example, has a young infant who's ex- constantly exposed to smoke. You have some, an elderly person who has a chronic lung condition and exposed to that. I mean, 75% of people say they're much more likely to buy a condo if it's designated smoke-free. So we need more smoke-free buildings. Okay. So sticking sort of on the environmental tack... There are other carcinogens and, and bad stuff that we can breathe in. One of them is radon gas, right? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, that's one of the uh, very little-known challenges we face, risk factors. And in fact, if you're a non-smoker, radon gas is the leading cause of lung cancer. Huh. Yeah, it actually causes 16% of lung cancer cases uh, in Canada. I'm no scientist. Where does the radon gas come from in your home? Well, it comes from a natural breakdown of uranium, which is in rock everywhere in the world. Uh, you're breathing in every breath, outside, inside. It's just in certain homes, anywhere from 5 to 15%, depending on where you live in Canada, the levels tend to rise to high levels that increase your risk, and sometimes dramatically, of lung cancer. I know I have a radon detector in my home. Is that mandatory now? No, it's not mandatory. It is recommended highly by, uh, by us, and uh, we've worked with Health Canada on this in the past as well, to uh, test your home. Right. Uh, if you're on the third level of an of a apartment building or condo, it's not generally considered to be a, a high-risk factor for you, but uh, anybody else to test their home. It's a fairly simple device. It's uh, maybe only $50, $60 in total once you've included the uh, sending to the lab and getting the lab results. And you put this in your home for about three months, and three months later, uh, you send it off to the lab and they'll give you your results. And if it is too high, there are some measures to take. Okay. So that's sort of interior to the house. What about in general? Is our air, I I remember, you know, we we get the smog alerts and there used to be a lot of talk about sort of the coal smoke drifting up from Ohio into southern Ontario. What about air pollution in general? Yeah, I mean, there is that transboundary pollution, which is a challenge. However, in in general, contrary to what most people believe, air pollution has actually uh, improved dramatically over the last few decades. In fact, over the last uh, 10 years or so, we've had dramatic drops. For example, uh, a common pollutant, nitrogen dioxide, has dropped 30%. Sulfur dioxide dropped 51%. Carbon monoxide, 53%. So huge decreases in pollution. I mean, partially due to uh, the phase out of the coal stations. Right, yeah. But also better uh, emission standards for cars. So we've got the drive clean testing. There's better, uh, stronger regulations for industry. So, But most people, if you ask them, they would say, oh yeah, pollution is getting worse and worse. Not that it's great and it's never good to breathe in pollution. So we also have you know, ideas to say uh, when you should exercise. In fact, monitoring the air, air pollution levels with the air quality health index is recommended so that if it is going to be a high level or higher level of pollution, maybe you want to exercise indoors. Right. Yeah. And, and I think people probably feel that it's getting worse just because, you know, in Toronto, the urban area is getting so much more condensed and bigger. There's more people and, and it's in a broader area. So I think 
with a greater urban area, particularly in the summers, it just seems like, you know, that there's smog everywhere. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Well, it definitely increases in the summer. You know, with the sun beaming down, it produces ozone, and uh, that increases. And, and it also depends on your proximity to a large road, like a highway. Right. Uh, if you're within uh, 300 meters of a highway, you have a higher risk. So it also feeds into policy, where we build schools, where we, where we are allowed to build homes and that. So it's definitely an important issue. I'm not trying to discount it. It definitely has dropped but it's still a great uh, trigger for people with lung conditions and uh, one of the risk factors for things like uh, lung cancer and, uh, and COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Okay. So let's sort of shift gears to public health. And how is lung health impacted by people who either get the flu shots or don't get their flu shots? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not the flu season right now, but right. Uh, if you're talking about keeping lungs healthy, this is probably one of the lowest fruits you can pick, maybe after smoking. Very huge. You know, living a smoke-free life is, is number one by far. But the flu shot, you know, there's so many reasons why people don't get the flu shot. And I have friends and family, even though I'm a respiratory therapist, who don't get the flu shot. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a natural human nature that we have. Like, for example, we have what's called optimism bias. So that, that's a belief that, yes, it's going to happen to some people, but it won't happen to you. So right. yeah, why people don't get the flu shot, there's so many different reasons, but it's, uh, it's one of the simplest, safest, uh, and free ways to get, protect yourself, to boost your immune system. There, there are still, in certain years, up to 3,000, 4,000 deaths from uh, influenza. Uh, so it is still a huge issue. And the reality is that you're not only protecting yourself, but you're also protecting other people who are more vulnerable, like myself, who's got asthma. If you have a young child, they're more vulnerable. Their immune system hasn't developed fully. An older person, because their immune system is not as strong as it used to be. So, yeah, it's a big challenge. I mean, I sometimes tell people a bit of a tongue-in-cheek explanation of this. Uh, it's definitely, you know, true, and a lot of people believe that you know, during the flu season, you know, there's a good chance you're not going to get the flu. And if you do get the flu, perhaps, you know, you'll only be home for a few days, maybe a week, back to relative normal a couple weeks later. So not a big deal. However, if you do get the flu and it leads to pneumonia in you, yourself, or you pass that infection on to, say, an older person or a young child or someone with a chronic condition, and that person or you get very ill, or in the worst case, die, then you would have been better off getting the flu shot. I agree. If people want more information about any of the issues that we spoke about today, where can they get that? Well, we've got the Lung Health Information Line, uh, 1-888-344-5864. We also have, you can also email us at uh, info at lungontario.ca. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks very much. Thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen to this show online at zoomer.ca. And you can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us on Facebook at The Tonic Talk Show or at Jamie Busson on Instagram. For great articles on health and wellness, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic, where we'll discuss what the statistics tell us about renting in Toronto, the unexpected cause of wear and tear on the body, healthy summer entertaining, and the attachment theory of relationships. 
Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.